New Year. It is, it is good to see those who made it out on New Year's Day. Um, hopefully you had a good celebration. Did anybody watch the ball drop in New York? Yeah, me neither. Stay up till midnight? S- smooch a sweetie? Right? Yeah. There's, or maybe sing that song, Old Lang Syne. We don't even know what that means usually. Well, we sing it. But there's, you know, it seems kind of goofy, but there's stranger traditions than that for New Year's. In the Philippines, their big thing is to wear polka dots on New Year's Eve, and that's supposed to bring them good luck for the year ahead. In Denmark, they break dishes on their front porch. The more shards, the better the luck in the year to come. Or if you hop over to Turkey, they smash pomegranates. <laughs> what a mess. Have you ever pomegranates? I love them, but they stain. And so they smash these all over their front porch for good luck. Puerto Rico, they throw a bucket of water out the window. And that's supposed to bring a prosperous new year. Uh, we have some Swedish people here. Sweden and Denmark, you probably know that they eat rice pudding and there's an almond in it. And whoever gets the almond is going to like have a great year. It's luck. I love rice pudding. But they don't know about that tradition. It seems kind of goofy, but so are a lot of the things that people here do. But all these, all these celebrations to mark the end of one year and the start of the, of the next year. And it's not a new thing. Um, I, I did some research. Historians have traced New Year celebrations all the way back to 4000 BC and the Babylonians. Only they didn't celebrate New Year's in, on January. They celebrated New Year's in March. And it wasn't until 46 BC that Julius Caesar moved it to a January celebration. And he did it. Um, January is actually a month that's named after the Roman god Janus. And I put his mugshot up here. That's the, the pagan god Janus down there. And Janus is depicted as having two faces. One that looks back at the past and one that looks forward at the future. And so January is named after the Roman god Janus. So they would... In, in ancient Rome, they would celebrate with sacrifices to Janus, sadly. They'd exchange gifts. They'd decorate their homes with laurel branches. And they would, of course, have ruckus parties. That was just their thing. And so this all was going on before Jesus even walked the earth. 46 BC is when they began this New Year's celebration. And... I don't know about you, New Year's isn't a big deal for my family. We don't wear polka dots. We don't smash anything on the front porch. Uh, we did go to a ruckus party at the Jairus' house last night. I saw many of you there. It wasn't ruckus. It was a lot of fun. But this morning, it's, it's not common for New Year's to fall on a Sunday. I mean, it happened maybe 10 years ago. It won't happen again until 2034. But I often like to do something different on New Year's Day. And you know it's our practice to teach through Scripture. And we're in the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. But this morning I want to do something different. I want to do something topical. And I want to dig into Scripture and see what God has to say about time and eternity. Because New Year's marks the passing of time. And so this morning the message title will be Time and Eternity. And it's a New Year's message. 
And it'll be centered on a particular text, but we won't go through that text in detail like we normally do. But kind of the key text is Ephesians 5, 15, and 16. And there's three parts of the outline. We're going to look at the right principle, the right priority, and then finally the right perspective. Sound good? Here we go. Now we'll start with the right principle. And I'd like to start with this thought that one of the most precious commodities that God gives us in this life is time. Have you ever thought about that? It's the one commodity that if lost or spent or wasted, you can't get it back. Once it's gone, it's gone. And when we're younger, we probably don't think that much about it, how precious time is. If anything, we're trying to hurry up time because we have all these things we're looking forward to. Getting a driver's license, going to college, getting married, our, our career, having our first child. All those things we're looking forward to, so we're starting, we're actually trying to speed it up. We're looking forward to them. But as we get older, not so much. We realize our time is rather limited. We've experienced many of those things. I kind of think of young age as when you have more dreams than memories. And old age is when you have more memories than dreams. And middle age is something kind of in between. Maybe 50-50. But time is a precious commodity and one of the first truths in scripture that I want us to consider is that God has determined the exact number of our days. Think about that. Job 14.5 says, man's days are determined. You have decided the number of his months and have set limits. He cannot exceed. And God did this before creation even. He appointed a number of days for you and for me. It's not a surprise to him how long we're going we're gonna to live. In fact, that means that unless the Lord returns first, there is a tombstone or there will be a tombstone with your name on it and my name on it. And it'll have two dates. It'll have the date of our birth and it'll have the date in which we go home to be with the Lord. And in between these two dates is that little dash and you know what that little dash represents? That's our life. It's not a very big dash, is it? It's only like about that big. But that's everything from birth, adolescence, middle age, retirement, elderly, Lord willing, if we live that long. It's not a very long period of time. And, and so something I want us to consider is just the brevity of life. It's very short. James 4.14 4, James says, What is your life? You are but a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. That's, that's brief in, in the big grand scheme of things. According to the latest statistics from the CDC, the average life expectancy in the United States is 77 years. A little more if you're a woman, a little less if you're a man. But just 77 years. And you might remember this past Easter, I put, a, I put together a little bit of a, of a chart to kind of help us get a visual on that. So 77 years. And down the left side, I've got the, our age, whatever that might be. And then years remaining. And then this was kind of sobering. I calculated kind of the percentage remaining. And 
most people figure middle age to be 50 years old. But if you look at that, at 50, you only have, on average, 27 years left or about 35% of your life. Yikes. I have less than that. <laughs> if, you're, if you're younger, maybe 30, you've got a little more time, probably 61%. If you're 80 years old or older, you're in overtime. You're on borrowed time at that point. <laughs> now, up there... That's kind of where I fall. I like to think of it as being in my 20s. See, I got 20-some percent left. That's, have you ever thought about that? Where's your age on that? And how much time do you, on average, have left? Well, just for fun, I thought, that's kind of general. That just averages. So I went to the website this week, arealme.com. I wanted to find out about the real me. And I filled out this online form that's supposed to calculate my, a, or my, my life expectancy more accurately. And it asked everything from health and exercise habits to, to a profession, family history. It asked if I was right or left-handed. I have no idea what that has to do with it. But here's what it came back with. It told me that I was going to die on February 18th, 2039. And then it said that I have 16 years, 53 days, 7 hours, 18 minutes, and 28 seconds left. <laughs> Approximately. How's that for precise? It was kind of creepy because it was presented as a countdown timer. So the whole time I'm looking at this, it's clicking down, <laughs> clicking down, clicking. This was on Friday. I've got like three days less than this now. And it's still clicking away. I didn't even make it to the national average. So I don't know. I found that kind of sobering when I looked at it that way. What about you? If you could know for real exactly when you would die, would you want to know? Most people say no. Yeah. I heard about a middle-aged lady, and she had a heart attack and was taken to the hospital. And while on the operating table, she had this near-death experience. And seeing God, this pretend, she asked, is my time up? And the Lord said, no, you have another 43 years, two months, and eight days to live. And so upon recovery, the lady decided to stay in the hospital and have a facelift and liposuction and a tummy tuck. And while she was at it, she had someone come in and dye her hair. And she just figured that since she had so much time left, she wanted to look good. Well, after her last procedure, she recovered. She's released from the hospital. She's walking across the street and an ambulance hits her and kills her. <laughs> she stands again before the Lord and she says, what? You told me I had all this time left. Why didn't you snatch me out of, that, out of the way of that ambulance? And the Lord said, I didn't recognize you. <laughs> well, most people don't want to know when their last day will be. Um, but the big question, even if we don't know, the big question is this. How should we be living now, given that our life is so brief? Given that our life is but a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes, how should we be living? Well, let me give you some direct quotes from the Bible. Jesus said in Luke 12, 19, Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 32, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. 
Now that kind of sounds like carpe diem. The Roman thing of seize the day, right? Well, I hope you realize by now that I took those out of context. They did say that. Jesus did in fact say, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry in Luke 12, 19. But he was quoting the words of a fool who had selfishly stored up treasures for himself. And in right after that, the very next verse says, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. Then who, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And Paul did in fact say, let us eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. But it was prefaced with these words, if the dead are not raised, then let us eat, drink, eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And it went on to say, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to shame you. That was his words on this whole idea of carpe diem. Clearly carpe diem, as the Romans meant it, is not biblical at all. So how should we love? Well, this leads us to the passage that is really at the center of what I want us to think about this morning. And it's Ephesians 5, verses 15 and 16. You could turn there and put a marker there, or I'll, I'll read it to you. I'll bring it up on the screen, too, in a moment. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 says, Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Or, I like the ESV translation, and I put that one up here for you. Look carefully at how you walk or live, not as unwise, but wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. The New King James Version says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And the time is referring to a believer's lifetime. You can tell that from the construction of the Greek. It's referring to our lifetime. So look carefully then how you walk or live, not as unwise, but wise, as wise, making the best use of your lifetime. And then it gives a reason why we need to be so careful. It says, because the days are evil. What does that have to do with it? What it's saying is, the days are evil. There are so many trappings that want to draw us in and have us use our time in ways that are contrary to God's will. And so we need to be very, very wise about how we use our time. We've been seeing in the, in the study of 1 John that there's a whole worldly system that is opposed to God and wants us to oppose his will. And so this passage says, the days are evil. And, and we need to be wise about how we use our time. The next verse in verse 17 says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, specifically in regard to how we use our time. We're to use it wisely. We're to make the most of it. We're to redeem the time. So we do need to seize the day. Carpe diem. We need to make the best use of time, but not for self-serving Roman hedonism. We need to seize the day to do the will of God. 
Now, when you think of stewardship, oh no, not a stewardship. When you think of stewardship, what do you think of right away? Money, cash, yeah. And it's natural. Over the last couple weeks, with the new year approaching, I can't tell you how many emails I've gotten from ministries asking for money. (laughs) Some of the titles were things like this. Three days left to help us reach our goal. Will you help us reach our goal? You can double your impact by giving on on Giving Tuesday. I guess I didn't know Giving Tuesday was a thing. Uh, You still have until midnight to give a matching gift. I got that one yesterday. And, And that's fine. Ministries to do the work that God calls them to, they need to have funding. But I want to just set that aside for a minute and think about this. Have, have you ever thought about the stewardship of your time? Time and money, they're very closely related. In fact, we use a lot of financial terms to talk about time. I captured just a few of them, terms like giving time, saving, spending, investing, managing, buying time. We even talk about being on borrowed time. Those are financial terms. And Ephesians 5 tells us that we're called to steward our time, just like we are our money. We're to use it wisely according to God's will. It's a resource that God has entrusted to us. And out of that, we're to give back to the Lord. That's what it means to be a steward, to manage something that is not your own, but that is on loan to you. So that's the right principle when it comes to time. That we need to manage it wisely according to God's will. You know, I was thinking, it's possible for us to be very generous with our money and be very stingy with our time. In fact, for me personally, I, I think I probably cling tighter to my time than to my money because I just feel like I've got so little time. I don't mean the 16 years, 53 days, 18 seconds or whatever that is. I mean, just on a weekly basis, I just feel like I have very little time. And yet God is concerned with how we manage both our money and our time. So I want to look at the second section then, which is the right priority. It, it just sure seems to me that despite all of our technology and labor-saving devices and modern conveniences, we have less time, free time than ever. Do you feel that way? I don't know how that works, but life is busy. Someone told me just this past week that with retirement, it just seems to get busier. I thought I was kind of looking forward to that one day. It'll slow down, but no, it just is busy. And there's nothing wrong with being busy. You have to understand that Jesus was a busy man. He was up early. He was out late. Some nights he had little or no sleep at all. So there's not necessarily anything wrong with being busy. But the key question is, what are we busy doing? What is the source of our busyness? Well, if you were to take a a class in like time management one of the very first things they'd tell you to do is do an audit of your time. Take cards and write down how you use every 15 minutes, all day long, all week long. Do an audit of your time and see where you're spending it. Well, I didn't take time to do that, but I looked up some 2021 data by the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and here's what they say. Here's how they say the average American uses their time. 
on the left is a list of activities and then it shows the average hours per day per person and per day per participant. And I'll explain the difference. And you can see the big one there, sleep and personal care. 9.7 hours per day, if you can't read that. Um, we all need to do that. Can't avoid that. We need rest. It's biblical, right? And eating and drinking, that's unavoidable. It's a little over an hour a day. And household activities, which could be cleaning in the house, yard work, that's about two hours a day. But then look down the list there, working and work-related activities, it seems low at only three and a half hours per day, per person per day. But that's because it's an average and not everybody works. If you look to the right of that, it says per participant, and that's a little over eight hours a day or about 56 hours per week. That's kind of more like it. So that would include getting ready for work, commuting to work, actually doing your work. About 57 hours per week is what it comes out to. And you see a similar thing for educational activities because not everyone is a full-time student. But look down at the line about four from the bottom that says organization, civic, and religious activities. Bureau of Labor Statistics, an average of 0.23 hours per day or 14 minutes. But for those who participate, it's two hours per day. Well, one thing that tells you right away is there aren't very many people participating to bring the average down that low. But compare organizational, civic, and religious activities, compare that to leisure activities, which includes socializing, TV, and sports. That's a whopping 5.27 hours per day average for every single person in the United States. 5.27 hours. You heard this morning, it takes 12 minutes a day to read through the Bible in a year. Yet many believers say they don't have time to do it. So how exactly should we be spending our time? Well, the answer is different for every single one of us. I can't and I won't stand up here and say, this is what you should be doing with your time. That's really between you and the Lord to sort that out. And it is different based on our stage of life and what God's called us to and the people he's put in our path. But there are some principles in Scripture that are really clear. And the, and the clear priority that we see throughout the Bible is that God should come first. And here's just a, a few verses that speak of that priority. John 6, 27. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. Matthew 6, 20. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. That's talking about investing our time rather than spending it. My favorite, Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be given to you as well. So on whole, when we look at all of the activities in our life, not the national average, but in our personal life, if we mapped that out, does God come first for us? And does our list of activities and time spent, does it reflect our devotion to the Lord? Now, I'm not saying that we should be serving the Lord more than the 57 hours a week that we work. No, God knows we need to work. I'm not saying that. 
And I'm not even saying that TV, sports, and movies are all wrong. They're not necessarily. Leisure time is important as well. It prepares us to go out and do the rest of the work that God has for us. We need rest time, and it's biblical too. But do we do too much of those things and too little of what God would have us do? Here's a a thought. What if you were to put Matthew 6.33 over the top of your TV screen? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. So that while we're sitting there, if we're average 5.27 hours a day, we're at least looking at that truth and the thoughts going through our head. How would God have me use all of this time? Well, one of the traps that I think we can fall into is putting things off, putting the things of the Lord off until later in life. Maybe it sounds like this. Well, I'm a full-time student right now, but once I get through school, then I'll start making time for the Lord. But then we get out of school and it can easily become, well, I just started a new job. But once I get settled in this new routine, then I'll start making time for the Lord. Well, I'm engaged and I'm going to be married. Once I get through the wedding, then I'll start making time for the Lord. I got little kids. It's a lot of work. Once they're a little older, then I'll have more time for the Lord. I'll, I am, I've started this new career. I'm a career person or, or on and on. But for long, it's, well, my health just isn't what it used to be. <laughs> We've got to be careful about putting things off. Remember what the parable Jesus told about the great banquet? And everything was set up. And Jesus has been, had in, or not Jesus, but the, the host of the banquet had invited people. And he sent his servants out to let them know it's all ready to go. And it says that, but they, it says, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. And another said, I just, got, I just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The, the thing that we got to realize is every season of life will be busy. It will have its busyness. It will have its distractions, no matter what stage of life we're in. And this is why it's so important that we have the right priorities and that we start on that as early as possible because we develop patterns that we will easily carry throughout our life. That's why I'm so encouraged, though, when I see young families and young adults serving the Lord in the church, living with him first in their life. It's a great encouragement. So one of the things that I think we have to realize is we can't be faithful, fruitful followers of Christ and still do all the things that the world does. We can't. Their schedule's full, too. And they're spending, on average, 0.2 hours, 13 minutes with anything, you know, others oriented in terms of religious activities or community activities. We can't do all the things of the world and be a faithful follower of Christ. We just can't. So we have to reorder our priorities and make difficult choices if we're going to be good stewards of our time. I think New Year's is a great time. We'll just take a little lesson from Janice. It's a great time to look back like we did in the special element. Thank you, Dan, for just to reflect on 
all that God's done for us in the past year, but also to reflect kind of introspectively on how have I spent my time in the past year? What captured my attention? And then plot a path going forward. It may, been help, it may even be helpful to make a budget. Since time is often spoken of in financial terms, what if we made a budget? And like any budget, we should load our schedule with the most important things first, right? And then work out the other things in the time that's left over. So we've got to have the right priority. But an, another principle that I, th that I think we should consider is how we do things is just as important as what we do. And a verse for this is Colossians 3, 23 and 24. This is really one of my favorite verses. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart is working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Whatever you do, do it with all your heart. Think about our attitude and our witness as we're going about those activities of life. Commuting, uh, working, shopping, doing chores around the house, interacting with others. Are we doing that as unto the Lord? Is he our motivation to do that with excellence? Is there joy in our heart? Are we mindful of his presence with us as we go through those routine activities? Several years ago, Deborah and I were enjoying some leisure time in our favorite place. We were in Jamaica on a dive trip. And we're having breakfast down at the resort restaurant right on the beach. And as we're eating, there was this Jamaican worker there. And he was raking the sand. I can't think of anything more menial than like every day that the seaweed comes in, they got to rake the sand. And it's, it's hot, it's humid. And he's raking and as he is, he's singing. The Jamaican people have beautiful voices. And his voice is ringing out and it was just beautiful. And I'm enjoying it as we're eating breakfast. Well, I went over and I talked to him and I said, I just love the attitude with which you're doing this work. It reminds me of a verse in the Bible that says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart is unto the Lord. And he looks at me, his name was Darren, and he said, you're a man of God. Would you pray for me? I'm a lost soul. And I started talking to him, and he said that I used to walk with the Lord, but I'm not now. And so we talked about that. And I encouraged him that he simply had to turn back to the Lord. That no matter how far away he had gone, just repent, turn around. The Lord's there waiting to receive him back. And he said, but I can't. I've done too many things wrong. Well, we just continued talking about that. And um, when we were finished, he went back to raking again. Only this time, his thoughts had returned to the Lord. And as he was raking, he began singing these beautiful songs of worship. And one of them was, you are my king. And the lyrics of this song and his beautiful Jamaican voice are just echoing across the beach. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me as he's raking? Amazing love, I know it's true, and it's my joy to honor you in all I do. I love that. 
And so his whole perspective changed. So as we go about even these things we have to do, working around the house, going to an office every day, preparing meals, are we doing it as unto the Lord? Is that our heart? And do others see that? This is challenging for me too. Again, how we do things, it can be just as important as what we do. Even the unavoidable things. Think about those for a minute though too. Is there a way that we can make the Lord first in the midst of them? For instance, could we work through a prayer list as we're driving? Can we share our faith with co-workers or fellow students while we're going about those activities? I used to have, in my corporate days, I had about a 45-minute commute. And I would try to use that time as fellowship time with the Lord and just pray. And I, I didn't do this perfectly. don't get the wrong idea. But I would pray that God would give me opportunities to do something more than just manage an IT department and do training all day long. That he'd open up doors. And when I was mindful of that as I was driving, an amazing thing would happen during the day. These opportunities would come to me. And I have an opportunity in the midst of working in an office, a corporate office, I've had, I'd have opportunities to share the love of the Lord with people. And so maybe it's just something simple like inviting a coworker to dinner or to lunch or a family. I mean, we have to eat, right? But can we bring others into that? Maybe it's an opportunity to encourage a believer Maybe it's an opportunity to talk to an unbeliever and point him to the Lord. Not in a forced way, but I find that when we make ourselves available, God opens up opportunities for us to share in very natural ways. It's like, isn't it funny how that conversation just, he just came out and asked me, tell me about your faith or whatever. The Lord can open up doors when we're making him first in our work life, in our meals, God can open up opportunities, even in those mundane things that we have to do. Well, we should think about ways that we can redeem the time. Again, that key verse from Ephesians 5. Look carefully then at how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. It's not easy to live like this, is it? It's really not because there's so many distractions and there's so much opposition. We've been talking about this in 1 John 2. Making the best use of our time requires us not only to have the right priorities, but I think we also need to have the right perspective. And that's what I want to look at lastly. As you're walking with the Lord and you're trying to make him first in your life, do you ever just get tired and wonder, is this even worth it? There's so much opposition. This is so hard. Do you ever look at the world around you and feel like I'm missing out? Look at all the fun they're having. And here I am struggling, laboring. Well, if you have, and I have, we're not alone. There's a man named Asaph in the Bible and he wrote Psalm 73. And let me read you what he says. He says, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. 
They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from the burdens common to man. They're not plagued by human ills. Now that's not true, but that was his perspective. He went on to say, Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure. In vain I've washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been plagued. I've been punished every morning. In other words, Asaph is saying, this life of faith has been a waste of time. I could be out partying with the pagans. Look at the good time they're having every night. And then they're sleeping in. And they don't have the struggles I face. What's the point? Why am I doing this? I'm ready to give up. That's what he was saying. His foot had almost slipped. Asaph was having a crisis of faith. And he was teetering on the brink of abandoning his beliefs altogether. Have you ever felt that way? Maybe you feel that way now. Why am I working so hard trying to be this person that God wants me to be? Look at my pagan friends out there and all that they're doing. The fun times they're having. Well, for Asaph, his attitude and his behavior changed when he began to look at things from a godly perspective. He was envying the wicked and regretting his faith and regretting the discipline of the Lord until verse 17, where it says, Till I entered the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their final destiny. How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. What Asaph realizes is what he's seeing in this life and this world is not all that there is. It's not the whole story. And this is where eternity comes in. He needed to look at the bigger picture. He needed to see things the way God sees them. The way they really are. He needed a new godly perspective. And we too will struggle in our faith unless we have a right godly perspective that comes from God's word and, and unless we remind ourselves of this again and again that's I think the most important thing for us here we need to be reminded of these truths we need to spur one another on toward love and good deeds because it's hard isn't it and we can get discouraged well, let me give you a verse to kind of help shape our perspective as we strive to live for God in the face of opposition and distractions it's 2 Corinthians 4.17. I love this verse too. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Look at the contrast between momentary troubles and eternal glory. You really can't even compare those our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all how's that for perspective to reshape our thinking and our feelings when we're teetering when we're like asaph wondering is it worth it there's just no comparison between our short lives a mist a vapor and eternity eternity as said before it's not just a lot of time. Eternity isn't even unending time. Eternity is no time at all. It's completely outside the realm of time, which I can't even imagine what that's like. But it's eternity. You can't compare it to time. And not only that, our light 
and momentary trials. I mean, they feel so big right now. They feel almost insurmountable. But God says, yeah, but you're not seeing the whole picture. You just, you're kind of consumed looking at your little world at the here and now. Look at what I have in store for you. Look at the big picture. And in, in that perspective, these are light and momentary in comparison to eternal glory. We need that perspective or we'll burn out, we'll give up. No matter how tired we may be, no matter what sacrifices we may make, no matter what opposition we may face, God says, those are light and momentary, child of mine, when viewed from the perspective of all eternity and the glory that we'll experience in eternity. He says further in 1 John 2.17, the world and its desires will pass away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. We need to write that on our TV sets and on our doorposts. Galatians 6.9, let us not become weary in doing good. Need to hear this. Let us not become weary in doing good. I read the statistics on pastors that burn out and it scares me because I see how they get there. We can become weary in doing good. Let's not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. We have to keep moving forward. We have to remember the world's going to face eternal judgment, but God's children are going to face eternal glory. We need that perspective. We need to be reminded of it. Maybe put it on our dashboard. So as we're driving and considering our day ahead, we're making right choices in terms of our priorities. Lest our foot slip and we give up or we give in. Well, when I think about Riverside, I am so encouraged. I really am. Because I see People seeking the Lord and, and serving him with their lives. I see, like I said, young men and young women and young families putting the Lord first. It's such a beautiful thing to see. I see people in their middle stages of life using their job to worship the Lord. Worshiping the Lord in their work and how they interact with employees or customers or employers. I see retired people investing their time in kingdom work. I see 20-some men going weekly to the spiritual leadership class to learn how to be a spiritual leader in their home, in their community, in their church. It's such a beautiful thing to see. I see men and women uh, going to various Bible studies and really seeking the Lord to know his word and to apply it to their lives. I really think the Lord is worshipped and glorified here. I do. Yet, we're all in various stages of faith and obedience, aren't we? Every single one of us. I got to look at my time and think about what am I doing that I shouldn't be doing? What should I be doing more of? And with New Year's marking the passing of time, I think it's a good time. To look back and then to look ahead. To consider the brevity of life and how we're spending this time that God has entrusted to us. 
How can we make the best use of that time? How can we redeem the time? How would he like us to invest our time? I, I hope that this week you'll take time, no pun intended, maybe a little pun intended. You'll take time to get a hold of the Encore study guide that Dan will put out. And that's the follow-on study to our Sunday morning message that will lead you in questions for further consideration and the application of those truths. Because again, we don't want to be just hearers and deceive ourselves. We want to do what the word says. And so if you're not getting that in your inbox, just tell Dan and he'll add you to the list. It's a PDF. It comes usually on Tuesdays. Maybe Wednesday this week because of the holiday. But it's going to be really important this week because the application of this text involves changing habits. And habits are hard to change. Some people say you have to do something like 10 or more times before you break a habit or make a new habit. We need to be reminded of it. We need to apply it. If we just leave here today and go back to life as usual, nothing will change. Here's a final thought that I want us to just kind of take home and consider. We talked about how closely related time and money are and how God wants us to be faithful stewards of both. So with this in mind, what would it look like for us to tithe our time? Have you ever thought about that? A tithe of our time? What would that entail? What things would we have to stop spending our time on so that we would have time to do other things that might be God's will for us. And again, it's going to look different for every person. But what if families were to sit down together and work out a family budget? Not of money, but of time. This is how much time we have. This is daddy's time at work. This is mom's time at home. This is your time at school. Those are kind of non-negotiable. But here's what time we have left. What should be our first priority? What should we do? What do we want to do with what's left over? How much is left over after we make a priority of those most important things? Wouldn't it be cool to do a budget of our time? And so I think that'd be a beautiful way to kick off the new year. To really think about the time that God has given us. And think about it in a godly perspective. In the perspective of all eternity. So that we can make the best use of our time by doing the Lord's will. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, this is your word. You're so good to record it for us and preserve it over millennia. And we've heard it, but now, God, I pray that you would help us to put it into practice. That's the real hard part. And God, we know we can't do that on our own. So we cry out to you. God, help us to see our lives as you see them. Show us what it is in our lives, the way we spend our time that's pleasing to you and what it is that's not pleasing to you. What is your will and what's not your will? God, help us to see that. And then help us to set a new course forward. We can only do that by your spirit and your power within us, God, but you offer that to us freely. God, we want to make the most of our time. We want to be obedient to your word. We want to understand what your will is. So help us, Lord. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on what is eternal, not on the temporary things we see around us, God. And we want you to be glorified in this. And so we ask these things. We ask them confidently and boldly. And we ask it with faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship.